Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word that we read this morning is from the 33rd chapter of Genesis, uh, verses 1 through 4, and also then 13 to 20. A brief reminder for some of you, maybe it's been a while since you were in Bible history. Last week we heard about Rebecca, who was called by God and went and married a man she never met, Isaac. And they had twins, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob spent most of his life deceiving and tricking people to get what he wanted. He uh, tricked his brother out of his birthright, and his brother was so angry he vowed to kill him, so Jacob ran away, went to his uncle Laban, worked for his uncle Laban for a while, uh, was married, had a bunch of kids, came back. And that's where we pick up the account this morning Jacob is coming back and he's afraid of what's going to happen when he sees his brother Esau again, the one who had vowed to kill him, right? So he spends the night in prayer with God and receives God's assurance and promise that he will be with him. And we continue then in chapter 33 the next morning. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, and he fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and the, er the herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant, and I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure. And Esau said, Now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paran Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there, and he called it El Elohe Israel. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. One day, Jesus had a problem. He needed to get across a lake, but he had no boat. I think you guys know how the story goes from there. He just walked across the water. Through the storm... No problem. Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, and at Jesus' invitation, Peter also stepped out of the boat and walked on the water, trusting Jesus' promise. That certainly was a miracle. Jesus walking on the water. Peter walking on the water by faith in God's promises. That miracle was nothing compared to what Jesus did for Jacob in our text this morning. By faith in God's promise, Peter walked on the water, but by trusting in God's promise, Jacob 
was reunited with the brother who had vowed to kill him. And the two found peace and brotherly love once again. Jesus reconciled the two and brought them back together. This is what Jesus meant when he said, faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. That when we trust Jesus' promises, we can learn to forgive and to be forgiven. Jesus' presence and Jesus' promises that go with us can heal even the most strained, even the most damaged relationships. That's what we have, isn't it? That's what we have, the power to live our lives to God and to live our lives in love to one another. God's promises that go with us each and every day. Just uh, a little over a week ago, I gave one of my confirmation students a worksheet, and the, one of the questions on the worksheet was, that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. That means they were created holy and righteous without sin. They had the image of God. But of course, we lost it. And so the question on the worksheet was, they were created in the image of God, what do we have now? And the question pointed the student to some Bible passages, which remind us how we, instead of being born in the image of God, we are now born in sin. We have the image of Adam, the image of sin we're born in. That's what the question was trying to get at. Instead of the image of God, we now have the image of sin. What the student wrote was, what do we have now? The promises of God. Well, I couldn't mark that wrong. right? <laughs> That's what we have. We have the promises of God. And by faith in those promises, we can work miracles. Not the miracles of feeding 5,000 or walking on water or, or healing the dead the miracle of healing broken relationships, of forgiveness, of love, and of being forgiven in the salvation which God offers us. The thing about uh, working miracles by faith in the promise of God, though, is that you have to get out of the boat. You have to trust God's word and God's promise. Peter never would have walked on water if he hadn't stepped out of the boat, would he? And Jacob never would have been reconciled to his brother, brought back together, if he hadn't gone forth that, that morning to face his brother, even though his brother was coming with 400 men. That doesn't look good. It doesn't look promising, does it? When a brother who vowed to, to kill you is coming to meet you with 400 men. But Jacob trusted God's promise, the promise that God had given to him that night to be with him, and he went forth. Peter stepped out of the boat, trusting God's promise, and walked on water. God can heal the most broken relationships, the biggest problems that we have, emotionally, spiritually, God can fix them. But it starts by trusting God's promise. It's stepping out of the boat. Sometimes that means coming to your pastor and saying we're having trouble in our marriage. That's kind of scary. Sometimes it means coming and saying I have a problem with something else. Sometimes it means trusting God in other areas. Stepping out of the boat doesn't mean that we step off a cliff just to see if God's angels will really lift us up before we hit the ground. That would be tempting the Lord God. 
Stepping out of the boat means that when we know it's God's will, when God says to us, yes, go ahead, Peter. Or he says to Joseph, or sorry, Jacob, I, I will keep you, I will protect you. We go forth. Even when it doesn't look good. You know, from Peter's perspective, the boat was the safe place, right? And the, the water, the storm, the sea, the dangerous place to step. From Peter's perspective, he was safe where he was. That's the smart thing to do. But he wasn't stepping out of the boat into a raging sea. He was stepping out of the boat onto God's promises. And there's no safer place to be, no matter what it might look like from the outside. Peter didn't, want, didn't last very long on that sea before he began to doubt. You guys remember how very quickly he began to doubt God's promises and started to drown, started to sink. And so we might think, well, kind of scary. But even when Peter doubted, Jesus didn't let him sink, did he? He reached out and grabbed his hand. Even without faith, there's still no safer place to be than stepping onto the promises of God. It doesn't matter how strong our faith is. It doesn't matter how weak our faith is. It doesn't matter how great our doubt is. When you step out of the boat onto God's promises, when you step forward like Jacob did, at God's command, Jesus is not going to let you drown. Psalm 91.15 He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Step into God's promises. Following God's word, trusting God's promises often means also facing the consequences of your own sin. Jacob had to face the consequences of his own sin in our text this morning. Esau's hatred for him was because of Jacob's sin. All his life, Jacob had been avoiding the consequences of his own sin. Jacob lied to his father. Jacob ran away from his brother. Jacob snuck away from his uncle in the middle of the night rather than face the consequences of his own actions. Our text this morning is the first time that Jacob faced the consequences of his own sin instead of trying to sneak away. And he was able to do it because he finally learned to trust God's promises. The kids today <clears throat> in Sunday school have the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was another one who came to Jesus by night, right? Trying to hide his faith, trying to hide his interest in Jesus. He didn't want the other Pharisees to know what he was doing. And Jesus told Nicodemus, stop trying to hide. Come out into the light. John 3, 19 to 20. The light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. It's a scary thing to face the consequences of our own sins head on. We'd much rather sweep among under the rug and hope that no one ever notices them. Jacob, of course, was terrified of what would happen when he met Esau face to face. 
But trusting in God's promises, Jacob went forth in the day. God doesn't promise us that every time we face the consequences of our own sin that uh, they're just going to go away, that our brother's just going to hug us and everything's going to be fine immediately. It doesn't always work out quite that easily. But he does promise that he will be with us. He does promise that no matter what happens, he will work it for good. He does promise that he will forgive us and that he will break it and take us to heaven. God's promises are not made void or empty simply because we have failed. God's promises are still with us to give us that strength. In our weakness, we are made strong, right? That's what we heard in 1 Corinthians. God is made strong. God's power is shown in our weakness. Certainly Jesus' power was shown in Jacob when he went forward to meet Esau. Grasping God's promises also means letting go of the things of this world. Holding on, grasping God's promises is a, is a two-handed thing. You can't do it with one hand. Jacob spent his whole life grasping the things he wanted. That's what the name Jacob means, heel grasper. His whole life he was grasping this and this. I want this, I want this. I'm going to get it through my cunning, through my deceit. Uh, his whole life he was grasping on to the things of this world. I want the promise. I want the sheep. I want the blessing. I want the, the riches of this world. The night before our text, he finally learned how to grasp with both hands the promises of God. You remember the story of him wrestling with the Lord and how the Lord touched his hip and uh, the hip was out of its socket. And what did Jacob do? He grasped the angel of the Lord. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Learning to grasp God's promises with both hands. He didn't have any hands left to grasp onto the things of the world anymore. And you hear in our text how he sent all the, all the goods, all the sheep he had, the, all the gifts he had before him. As, as gifts to Esau. This was why there was anger between him and Esau, because Jacob wanted the blessing of the firstborn. He wanted the things of this world. But now he lets them go. He sends them ahead as a gift to Esau. Grasping, holding on only to the one thing that was important, the promises of God. Right at the end of our text, <clears throat> right at the end of our text, the very last verse of our text, Jacob builds an altar and he names it El Elohe Israel. We were talking about altars in our Advent, in our you know, Sundays of Advent, we were talking about different altars. We didn't talk about this one because those the ones we were talking about in Advent were Yehovah altars that used that name of the Lord, Yehovah. This one uses Elohe instead. Also, I didn't think of this one. That's okay. But it's still a very powerful name here. El Elohe Israel, God is the God of Israel. That's what it means. God is the God of Israel. Remember, Jacob's name had been changed. That night before, God had changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And so what Jacob is saying here is, God is my God. Before this point in Genesis, his whole life, Jacob is, is you know, older now. In his whole life, he had always referred to God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of my fathers, never my God. Now he builds an altar and he says, but my God, 
the God of Israel. There's that old uh, commercial, right? That old uh, auto slogan. This is not your father's Oldsmobile. That's what, that's what Jacob is saying here. This is not my father's God anymore, but mine. Not because God has changed. The old, Oldsmobile, they were trying to say, oh, we changed it for the younger generation. But God is our God, not because God has changed, but because we have learned to grasp those promises to ourselves. Every generation, every generation has to learn that, don't they? Every generation has to learn to make God my God, to grasp God's promises to ourselves. All that we have now, all that we have in this sinful world, we've lost the image of God, we've lost uh, the paradise that God created for us. All that we have left in this world are the promises of God. But if we learn to grasp them, like Jacob, by faith, we can move mountains. We can heal the deepest rifts between people. We can forgive and be forgiven, washed in the blood of Christ Jesus. The writer to Hebrew reminds us that they, through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Therefore let us look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we learn to trust God's promises, when we learn to grasp them and make them ours by faith, make God our God, to step out of the boat knowing that the safest place we can be is standing on God's promises, we can do the impossible. Even, reconcile, even reconciliation with a brother who has vowed to kill us. God promises us, Zechariah 13.9, I will bring them through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. I will test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. And I will say, this is my people. And each one of them will say, the Lord is my God. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.